0: Thank you, Dan. Welcome again to Peninsula Bible Church. My name is Scott Grant, one of the pastors, one of the elders. And I'll be beginning the series that we're, call, that we're calling Explore God. I'm not going to be the only preacher in this series. Dan's going to be doing some preaching, and there's some others as well. So if you're new to the church, we uh, don't have a singular preacher. We have multiple preachers, and we believe that's uh, good for us. And we believe that's also good for you. So here's the question. Does life have a purpose? Now, if I were to ask for a show of hands, who believes that life has a purpose, my guess is that most hands would go up. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. And I think that uh, most of us believe, or at least want to believe, that life has a purpose, even if we can't identify what that purpose is. Let's face it, the alternative, that life has no purpose, is unappealing. Nevertheless, there are some who hold to this opinion. For example, listen to the Famous paleontologist Stephen Jay Gould. We are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures because the earth never froze entirely during an ice age because a small and tenuous species arising in Africa a quarter of a million years ago has managed so far to survive by hook and by crook. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. All right. That's Stephen J. Gould. How about a contemporary novelist by the name of T.C. Boyle? He says this. In previous generations, there was purpose. You had to die, but there was God. Now, of course, there is no God, and our species is imminently doomed. So there is no purpose. We get up raise families, have bank accounts, fix our teeth, and everything else. But really, there is utterly no purpose except to be alive. Notice what he believes. He believes that if there is no God, there is no purpose. And because he believes that there is no God, he believes that there is no purpose. Finally, let's hear from a barber by the name of Frank. I've been asking why I'm here most of my life. If there's a purpose, I don't care anymore. I'm 74. I'm on my way out. Let the young people learn the hard way like I did. No one ever told me anything. Ooh. Welcome to Peninsula Bible Church. Aren't you glad you're here this morning? Well, as our name indicates, we adhere to the scriptures, an ancient collection of documents that are composed of narratives and poems and letters that we believe were inspired by God so many years ago. But we also believe that they are as relevant today as the day that they were written. And if you are new to the scriptures, we're going to be look at, looking at some of them this morning. And I hope you'll be able to see that indeed, the scriptures have relevancy for your life. Before we listen to the scriptures, let's first of all listen to Paul Turnier who is, or was, I'm not sure if he's still alive anymore, famous Swiss psychiatrist. And he says this about the human desires. It is impossible to overemphasize the immense need humans have to be really listened to, to be taken seriously, to be understood. He's examined human psychology all his life. And he's met with so many humans probing their desires. And he discovers that what humans really want is to be known, to be understood, to be listened to. We want to know and be known deep in our bones. But he also says that that need, that desire, that deep human desire goes largely unmet. Listen again. Listen to all the conversations of our world between nations, as well as those between couples. They are, for the most part, dialogues of the deaf. Ooh. You want to be known. You want to be understood. You want to speak. You want somebody to listen to you. Dialogues of the deaf. What do the scriptures have to say? Well, the scriptures have to tell us that we can know and be known, that God knows us, And we can know God. That's the deep human desire, to know and be known. And God meets that deep human desire. David was a king in Israel uh, several centuries before Christ. He wrote many of the Psalms that we find in the Hebrew scriptures, also called the Old Testament. And here's what he says in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. He's saying that God knows him intimately. God knows us intimately better than we know ourselves. After all, according to the scriptures, he is our creator. So God knows us. Can we know God? Indeed, we can, according to Jesus, in the Gospel of John. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says this. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, he's praying to God here, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So yes, God knows us, and also, we can know God according to the scriptures. And that meets this deep human desire to know and be known, by God, including our relationship with God, which is more than can be said for the kind of intimacy we can have with any other human. And I hope to show that to you in a little bit. So what's the relationship we have with God? What is it made of? It's made of conversation. It's very much like human relationships in that it's conversational. How do you know someone? You speak, they listen. They speak, you listen. You listen sometimes. Because sometimes what listening is is really not so much listening, it's waiting to talk. So that's one of the problems with human relationships. But God listens to everything we see and feel. He knows our hearts. He can see what's in our hearts. So we can express to God all that is on our hearts, no matter what is on our hearts. We know God. And we express to him everything that we're feeling from adoration to indifference to Anger, because God wants it all. He's not like humans who want it all. I mean, after a while, if someone is just talking to me nonstop for about 15 minutes or so, I'm thinking, do I get a chance here? You know, but, but God's going to listen to it. And they're not going to listen to all I have to say. If I'm angry at them, but, but, but God says, hey, let me, let me have it. How do we know this? Well, David prays. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus prays the same thing when he's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's called worship in the scriptures. So God wants everything that is on our hearts. We can share with God everything that is on our hearts. Does God speak to us? Yes, he does. How does he do that? Through the scriptures, which he inspired through the heavens and the earth, which he created, and through the events of our lives, which he orchestrates. Therefore, pay attention not only to the scriptures, to the word of God, pay attention also to creation because creation is speaking in its beauty and its magnificence and the smells and the sights and everything. God is speaking to us through creation. He's also speaking to us through the events of our lives. So pay attention to what's going on in your life. Pay attention to the things that happen, the things that you didn't plan, the things that sort of line up, the patterns, the coincidences, the the repetitions. That's God. God is speaking to you through the events of your lives. So we have a conversation with God. And this relationship that we have with God involves both worship, because he is holy or other, and friendship, because he is closer than a brother. David also says this in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What's David talking about here? He's talking about intimacy with God, relationship with God. He's talking about knowing God. He's saying, one thing I have asked from the Lord. Now, that's a curious thing to say, because as we read through the Psalms, many of which were written by David, he asks for many things. But here he says it's just one thing. This indicates the centrality for David of his desire. I think it also indicates the centrality of our desire. Deep down, what we really want to do is to know God who created us. I have a friend by the name of Gil Aarons, and several years ago, his wife was paralyzed in a traffic accident. And uh, he, wrote, he wrote a book about it. And uh, in the conceit of the book, well, he, he writes for all of us. But in the conceit of, uh, conceit of the book, he's writing to his daughter to help his daughter come to grips with what happened to her mother. And uh, he talks in the book about all of the journey and the trials and the tribulations that they went through. And at the end, he talks about how they Asked God desperately for healing. They wanted a miracle. They prayed fervently for even discoveries in spinal cord research to help others as well. But God hasn't answered those prayers, at least not yet. But here's what Gil says He says, What really mattered in the end was that God gave us not a miracle, He gave us Himself, He gave us His fellowship. He gave us intimacy with him. Here's what he says. He entered into our lives and stayed beside us. The comfort and assurance of his fellowship were greater than any miracle we might have otherwise hoped for. That's how great it is, at least for Gil, to know God. It's better than the thing that he otherwise would have wanted most, healing for his wife. He didn't get that. What he got was the Lord. How great it is to know God, to have fellowship with him, to be able to have a conversation with God. We call that prayer, by the way. When you have a conversation with God, that's called prayer. Well, uh, we not only want to know and be known We also want our lives to count for something, don't we? We want our lives to make a difference. The Beatles sang, we all want to change the world, way back in the 1960s. Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple, famously wanted to put a dent in the universe. But sadly, most of us feel as if we're not making that much of a difference. One successful software developer in the Silicon Valley laments, Nothing you do has any sense of permanence. Nothing you do lasts. Well, we come to the New Testament. We come to the Gospels. The first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, they uh, report on and recount the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we hear the words of Jesus in these Gospels. And we hear Jesus say 18 times, follow me. The invitation comes 18 times in the gospel to follow Jesus. He's speaking to people then. He's speaking to us now. The importance of following him must be important if it appears 18 times in the gospels. And Jesus says that following him makes a difference. So follow Jesus. So Jesus is in the process right now of changing the world for good. And granted, it takes the eyes of faith to see that. And even if you can't see that, to believe it, to believe that right now, Jesus is changing the world for good. And he invites us to join him in that process. And he indicates through these stories and some of the things he does that he's doing just that. That he's he's taking what we do, and he's enhancing what we do as followers of him to bless people. So he tells stories about seeds, and he turns water into wine. And then there's this story that appears in the Gospels uh, about a whole crowd that's following Jesus. He has 12 disciples, 12 apprentices that he has called to be intimate with with him, but a whole bunch of people can follow and are following him. There's this crowd, and now the crowd is getting hungry, and it's a desolate place, and there's no place to get food, and the disciples of Jesus are a little bit worried about this. And uh, what do they have? They have five loaves of bread and they have two fish. And Jesus says, OK, what do you have? You got these five loaves, two fish? OK, bring, bring them to me. Now, watch what Jesus does. Mark chapter 6, beginning at 41. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set before the peop- set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. So what do they have? Not much. What does Jesus do with not much? Turns it into a feast for thousands. What do we have? Not much. What does Jesus say? Just right. Our lack becomes his abundance. So that if you follow Jesus, he adds to what you do. Every prayer, every word, every act of justice and mercy and truth, every act of beauty, Jesus takes what that is, and he makes it better. He enhances it in order to bless the lives of other people. For example, what am I doing right now? I'm speaking some words. Some of them are words from the scriptures. Some of them are my own words. What's going to happen to those words? To be honest with you, I have no idea. But I do know this. If these words are going to have any effect whatsoever, Jesus has to do something with them. Otherwise, they are just words, and they just fall on the ground. But maybe, just maybe, my words are coming with the spirit of Jesus into your heart, and you're saying something like, yes, Maybe. I don't know. But there's something about Jesus. There's something about this that, 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 that maybe is, is true. Well, that's not me. That's Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, working with the words. There was a man who met Jesus who had pretty much everything. He was a wealthy landowner. And he was a good person. He kept all the biblical commandments. Nevertheless, he approached Jesus and asked Jesus, what must he do to inherit eternal life? So he sensed somehow that there was something lacking. And Jesus has this encounter with him. And Jesus says this. And Jesus, looking at him, Mark 10, 21, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. There it is again. Come, follow me. Now, we can't universalize this, because this is the only thing, this is the only time Jesus says this, sell all your possessions. He's not saying that to everything. Nevertheless, he has, he's not saying that to everyone. Nevertheless, he has put his finger... On this particular thing, this man's land, he's a landowner that he's going to have trouble letting go of in order to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is the main thing, and he puts his finger on this thing that is keeping the man from following Jesus. One thing, that's what David prayed, right? One thing I have asked for, that shall I seek. Knowing God. What does Jesus say here? You lack one thing. What is it? He's got everything. He lacks Jesus. He lacks Jesus. And he needs to follow Jesus. No God, follow Jesus. This story comes from a fellow by the name of Bashir Abdul Mashi. And he tells this story, and I don't know what country it comes from because he doesn't say. But he tells the story of a man who was sharing about Jesus on a train with someone by the name of Nassim. And the man was surprised to see how Nassim was so open to hearing about Jesus. And when he asked him, why are you so open as I talk to you about Jesus, Nassim told him a story from years ago. He said, years ago, a friend and I were walking by. And there was this Catholic sister who was holding out her hand. And she was asking for donations for the hospital. And we were walking by her. And my friend, Nassim said, his friend walked up to her and spit in her hand. What did the sister do? She took out a handkerchief. She wiped the spit off her hand. She extended her hand, and she said, All right, that was for me. What will you give Jesus? Back on the train, Nassim told the man who was sharing the gospel with him, who was so surprised that he was so open to the gospel, Nassim said, can anyone forget love like that? Following Jesus makes a difference because what does Jesus do? Jesus compels us and inspires us to love even our enemies, to wipe the spit off our extended hand and to extend the hand again. Now he does something with that. And he opened this man's heart up to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Know God, follow Jesus. These have both reflective and active components to them. Knowing God is mostly reflective. We're thinking, we're contemplating. Following Jesus is mostly active. We're moving forward. We're following Jesus into the world. Knowing God and following Jesus have both individual and collective components to them. We follow Jesus individually, and we follow Jesus together. So for example, Last night, my wife and I went out to the porch and we prayed together. We met with God together. It was a wonderful time, praying for our daughters, praying for a whole bunch of things, praying for this morning. This morning, I got up and uh, I went out to that very same porch and it was 6 a.m. I was all by myself. It was just me, the Lord, and Venus. And Venus, God, have you noticed how bright Venus is at 6 a.m. in the morning? It's unbelievable. So it was just, I was just alone. I was alone with the Lord this morning at 6 a.m. Now, a few hours later, I'm meeting with God, with all of you, together. So it's both individual and collective. And following Jesus has both general and specific aspects to it. So that we're all called to follow Jesus, but God has created us all uniquely so that what it looks like for each of us is somewhat different. And this is the beautiful thing you discover as you find out as you go is, You know, we're all about individuals in our culture. And there's good things about that. but, But how has God made me? What is God calling me to do? How do I figure that out? Well, it's an important thing to work through. Now, notice what happens to one particular individual in the New Testament. This is a man by the name of Paul. He became an apostle. And he ends up writing about half of the New Testament. And Jesus met him, although Paul was originally opposed to Jesus. Jesus met him and turned his life around. And here's what Jesus says to him. Acts chapter 26, verse 16. That's also in the New Testament. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Notice purpose. I have appeared to you for this purpose. And that purpose manifested itself in Paul being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write these amazing letters to these churches in the first century that were collected into the New Testament. Now, let me assure you, that is not God's purpose for you. God did not call you and appoint you to write the New Testament. It's already been done. And if you tell me that God has appointed you to write a third testament or something like that, I'm going to tell you you're not hearing from God, okay? Nevertheless, God has things for you to do. God has created you uniquely. How do you go about discerning that thing or those things that God is calling you to do? Your particular individual purpose in following Jesus. Listen to Frederick Buechner. He was, uh, died about a year ago. He's a beautiful writer of the spiritual life. And here's one of his most famous sentences. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. What wonderful words. Isn't that beautiful? Your deep gladness, the world's deep hunger. Where those two things meet, that's the place where God calls you. That's where you're going to find individual purpose. How do you find that? Listen to another writer by the name of Emmett Fox. These are beautiful words. It's a long quote, but they're beautiful words. Already in your past life, from time to time, God himself has whispered into your heart just that wonderful thing, whatever it is that he is wishing you to be and to do and to have. And that wonderful thing is nothing less than what is called your heart's desire. Nothing less than that. The most secret, sacred wish that lies deep down at the bottom of your heart. That wonderful thing that you hardly dare to look at or to think about, the thing that you would rather die than have anyone else know of because it seems so far beyond anything that you are or have at the present time that you fear that you would be cruelly ridiculed if the mere thought of it were known, that is just the very thing that God is wishing you to do or to be for him. And the birth of that marvelous wish in your soul, the dawning of that secret dream, was the voice of God himself telling you to arise and come up higher because he had need of you. In my past life, I was an average student at best, but I was a good writer. I was a poor reader, but I was a good writer. Go figure. Doesn't good reading and good writing go together? Not with me anyway. To this day, you know, I'm not very good at board games and things like that, but you'd think I'd be good at word games. But every time I play my family with word games, I get trounced. Not that I have any issues around that. But 50 years ago, this month, I was beginning my junior year in high school. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And I met with my academic counselor. And she said to me, you need to add an English class. And why don't you take this class? It's called Multimedia News. Multimedia News, what's that? She says it's working with the newspaper. And by the way, I did not know God at this time, but God knew me. It's working with the newspaper. I thought that what she meant was that I would go into class with these other students, and we would cut out the newspaper and then comment on it, like the daily newspaper, and have, it's kind of like a civics class. I don't know why I thought it would be that. But when I showed up on the first day of class, I discovered that I would be working on the school newspaper. I had no idea that's, that's what the class was. Thus, a journalist was born. As soon as I walked into that class and was working on the student newspaper, I knew that that's what I was supposed to do. Why? I'm a good writer. I like words. There was nothing else I was really good at. So I started working on the school newspaper. I decided right then and there, about a week into it, I'm going to major in journalism. Sure enough, I went to college, four years, majored in journalism, never once thought about changing majors, unlike some of you who have changed majors 10 times. That was it. I was going to be a journalist. I liked words. I liked writing. And that's what I did for 11 years until Something happened. I started working with a church. I started teaching Bible studies, studying the Bible. and, and, And one thing led to another. And so now I'm a pastor. And I've been a pastor here for 29 years. They're unrelated, right? Journalist, pastor. No. God knew exactly what he was doing. Because I was an editor. And I was editing stories. And then I started studying the Bible. And I knew how to study the Bible kind of because I knew how to work with words and edit stories. I started reporting. I started, I started writing stories and writing stories. It's a lot like crafting sermons. And I had, as a reporter, I had to interview a bunch of strangers, people I didn't know, to try to find out what the story was. And as a pastor, I counsel people. I meet with people. I have to interview them. I have to ask questions. So God knew exactly what he was doing. So in my past life, and the through words, the through thing through the whole thing was words. In my past life, God whispered into my heart and my soul exactly that thing that he wanted me to do and to be for him. I wonder, has God done anything like that for you? Has God spoken to you? Did God speak to you yesterday? Maybe he's speaking to you now. Maybe he's speaking to you tomorrow. And what does he say? Arise and come up higher because I have need of you. Question, does life have a purpose? Answer, yes. What is it? No, God, follow Jesus. For how long? up to and including your final day. Follow Jesus for all your days. Then what? Then you die, right? James says this in the New Testament. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Hardly a week goes by these days in my life where I don't hear someone say or myself say, Man, things are going by pretty quickly, aren't they? I can't believe it. I can't believe it's September. Well, it's almost October. I can't, I can't believe it goes by so quickly. This is true. It feels like our lives are just a mist. We're here for a while, and then we're gone. That's what James says, and that's true, except in the case of one particular individual who lived in the first century. Yes, he died. He was here for just a little bit. But he rose from the dead, assuming a new body. And he reigns from heaven even now. And if that's true, according to the scriptures, follow me on this, if that's true, Jesus is called the first fruits, the first thing that happens in a series. If Jesus rose from the dead, that means that all his followers are also going to rise from the dead, and that means this creation, which is dying, is going to be renewed, and his followers are going to keep following him for all eternity in the new creation. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means. Paul puts it this way. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your your labor is not in vain. It has purpose. How does it have purpose? Because the Lord takes what you do, and he enhances it in order to bless other people. Every act of mercy, every act of truth, every act of beauty, every act of justice, every prayer, every word. Jesus takes all of that and makes it beautiful for the sake of others. So he takes our loaves and he takes our fishes and he multiplies them. Talk about purpose. A year after I took the journalism class, I enrolled intentionally in a physics class in high school. And this might have been the hardest class I ever took because I'm a words person, a humanities person, and talking about science. And I don't remember pretty much anything except for one thing. I learned about the second law of thermodynamics, which is very depressing if you've ever studied it. The implications of the second law are that the universe is headed toward heat death. It's going to end. Science magazine puts it this way, stars will cease being born, galaxies will burn out, and black holes will evaporate until there's nothing left but subatomic particles and energy. Well, if that's true, then I submit to you that the novelist is correct. Our species is imminently doomed. Right? And... The paleontologist is right. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. The novelist is right, but really there is utterly no purpose. The barber is correct and sound and reasonable if depressing. If there's a purpose, I don't care anymore. Why get so worked up about things if we're just here by accident and nothing we do lasts? Whatever difference you make, doesn't matter in the end. Change the world if you like, but the world is going to die. Unless, unless Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Again. It means that his followers will rise, and it means creation will be recreated. And that what you do as a follower of Jesus Christ lasts, not just for a few years, not just for a hundred years, not just for a thousand years, not just for 10,000 years, which count for little, but forever, which counts for everything. To understand what the scriptures teach about purpose, knowing God and following Jesus, is to immediately jettison all thoughts of purposelessness. Why do so many people, including people who believe that we're here by accident, including people who believe that the universe is going to end in heat death, Why do so many people believe, or at least want to believe, that we're here for a purpose, even if they can't identify what that purpose is? I suggest that it's because God has put this desire for purpose in our hearts so that we will ask that question, so that we will seek God and we will find God, though he is not far from any one of us. Let me speak a moment to those of you who are not yet following Jesus those of you who do not yet know God here and online let me ask you a question do you feel like there's something that's missing you may have a lot going for you you may have not much going for you in either case do you feel as if there is something that's missing in your life listen again to the words of Jesus you lack one thing What is that? It's Jesus. And Jesus is the key to everything. Because what Jesus does is he allows us to know God. He goes to the cross. He dies for our sins. That's our rejection of God. He dies for our sins so that we can know God. So we can give our lives to Christ. And as you give your lives to Christ, here's basically what it is. It's a two-step process. It's turn from and it's turn to. It's turn from the way you're living right now, which has little or nothing to do with God, and, and probably in a deep sense represents rejection of God. Turn from that way and turn to Jesus giving your allegiance to him, saying, I'm going to follow Jesus now. And as you do that, God forgives you for your sins based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then you can know God. And then what do you do? Then you start following Jesus in the greatest adventure of them all. Would you please stand? Uh, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. First of all, uh, the scriptures declare that our lives have purpose, knowing you, following Jesus. Thank you so much for that. We don't have to wonder about that, and we can live in light of that. I want to lift up especially people who might be seeking or indifferent or whatever it is, Lord. These are just my words, and maybe they've been helpful, maybe they haven't been helpful, but I know what needs to happen for someone to see the truth of who you are and the truth of who Jesus is. You have to work in that heart, and I pray that you would right now that you would uh, open up uh, hearts to you and that uh, people would be drawn to you and to see how great it is, the love that you have for us. And now as we sing this song, Jesus, we love you, I recognize that some might not be ready to sing that song. And uh, I pray that they would be ready soon to sing that song. If not now, sometime soon. But Lord, as, as we sing this, this is what we should sing. Would you access that place in our hearts so that we can sing with our hearts, Jesus, we love you. Amen.